If you'll turn to the book of Ephesians, we're working on really a, a little more than one verse. We'll be working on the last part of verse 6 and verse 7. I'll explain why I'm dividing in that way in a moment, but for context, I'd like to uh, read from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, and read down uh, through verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, since the reading of God's holy word. Well, we have been moving very slowly through Ephesians 1, and we could move faster, but I think it's important to see the development here, and some of these statements of Paul are really quite rich and full of meaning, and I don't want to overlook that in our brief time together, so this is why we're going so slowly. We are working here in particularly verses 3 and following, going all the way down to verse 14, which is a unit. And this has this blessing of God at its heart. And then there are three reasons why you bless the Lord given here. Uh, And we've already moved through them. That's verses 3 through 5, the reasons why Paul blesses the Lord. In verse 6, now, he's expanding on the grace of God. And we're picking up here in the middle of verse 6, and it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. So we're starting with that phrase, with which. That's where we're starting our the section we're examining here. And this is a text which focuses upon the gift of God's grace. Uh, so in that sense, it's quite simple. Uh, and the gift of grace is manifested in our redemption. And we're going to be working with those two things. But it's uh, just something I'm going to come back to that uh, uh, may seem like a stray thought, but it is, it's, actually, it's actually not. It's, it's a thought that's relevant. Uh, but it's something that I was reading this week because one of my hobbies is to read old things. And for some of you, that means things from the 1990s, which is, that blows my mind that the 1990s would be old. Uh, but this is actually something from the 90s. Yes, the 90s with no 19 in front of it. So 90 A.D., okay? 
this is from a, um, a release of a slave from 90 A.D. that we found in, I didn't find it, but it was found uh, by scholars digging up the sands of Egypt, and they found a, a trash heap with these documents in it, which are uh, fascinating to give a glimpse of ancient life. And this one I was reading is the uh, freedom of a slave uh, and purchase from the, with the ransom price. So to be freed from slavery, typically a price had to be paid to the master. Interestingly, this ransom of the slave was by two men who owned one third of a slave woman. And the other two thirds were free. So two thirds of this slave woman was free. And these two men owned the final third and the ransom was paid. So now she's a hundred percent free. Uh, welcome to my world. This is the bizarre world of the ancient world that, that Paul lives in when he writes this document. This is that world. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that uh, will become of value to us as we go through this passage briefly. But first we want to look at the gift of grace. Um, I don't know where this comes from, but somebody somewhere has said Grace is God's favor, uh, God's unmerited favor. I don't know who said that. It would be interesting to find out who said that originally, because I would like to start a saying like that. Only this case, this time I'd like to start it a little differently. God's grace is his favor despite our demerit. It's not just unmerited as if we're neutral. We are his enemies. It is God's favor to his enemies. That's what grace is. And that's important to keep in mind because God's grace has overcome the enmity that we have toward God and he has toward us. And he's the one who initiates it. He has initiated this favor toward us. And... In the end of the day, one thing to keep in mind about grace is in the Christian religion, grace is always found where you have our mediator. Now, a mediator you think of in common terms as someone who intervenes with a dispute and resolves a dispute between two parties. That's not quite what we're talking about with the biblical mediator. It's someone who stands in our place. And he takes upon himself our demerit. The fact that we are God's enemies, he stands there and becomes God's enemy on our behalf. So that God pours out his wrath upon his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross that we deserve. And that's mediation. Now this is very common in our confessional documents. It pops up all over the place. There was actually a place that... uh, I found recently in reading with one of our brothers here, uh, this section is from the Confession of Faith. Now, let me just read this quickly and you'll, you'll see it. And it's, it's on a different topic, but it comes up. So this is chapter 21 of the Confession of Faith. Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature, 
And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. Now, children, when it says not without a mediator, that's two negatives and it equals a positive. And so it means with a mediator. But once you mean, once you say not without a mediator, you're saying no other way except with a mediator. With a mediator alone. That's, that's what they mean by that and why they say it that way. So we have a mediator. And if you want to see it in our text, uh, he has said this in various places. But here in verse six, the last part of verse six, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, once it says in Christ, in the beloved, that's mediation. In him, he's the mediator. In him, we find these things. And that's an expression of mediation, the way we're talking about. That's that's where we get this idea. So our confession is of value only as it captures Scripture teaching. And that's this is the stuff of it. This is where it comes from. Now here, interestingly, in verse the last part of verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The word blessed us in this version, it is the word for bestow, to give. So it's the grace which he has given to us. And it, it, it's an important uh, point to make because grace is gratuitous. That may sound kind of odd when you think of gratuitous is from the word grace in the end of the day. Uh, and what I mean by that is free and freely given. That's what's going on here. Now, I think that's important because there's actually a little bit of a word play here. So this is why the second half of verse 6 belongs to verse 7. It's because this verb, this, this, uh, with which he has blessed, he has bestowed upon us, um, it's translated uh, blessed, but I want to view that word as bestowed grace upon us. That word bestow here, is actually related to the word grace. It looks like it. It's a verb built on that foundation. Grace is a noun. Bestow is a verb. And the two words in the original are from the same, the same root. So Paul's got a little word play here. He's bestowed grace on us, with which he's bestowed. And then, at the very end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Bestow grace... Grace at the end, riches of grace. And this is, this is persuasive because this word in verse 6, again, translated blessed in the ASV, but it's bestow, given. It's, a, it's not a very common word. It's, it's used by Paul intentionally to make this link. So this is why uh, the last half of verse 6 belongs with verse 7. This is not an arbitrary decision I made, but it is uh, a clear determination. Now, you may think that I'm fiddling with the Bible. I don't fiddle with the Bible, <laughs> okay? 
I never, I never mess with the meaning of the scripture. But you should know that the verse arrangement of scripture is not original. It was invented by a book publisher in 1551. I mean, that's just a fact. And when you study it, I think, I think it was really for a specialized reason and kind of an odd reason. Uh, and I, in some cases, it just doesn't work very well. It, it's not. Actually, you know, here's, here's the thing. When scholars talk about that, New Testament scholars, when they talk about that 1551 thing, they say, oh, yeah, he made that up while he was on horseback. And sometimes he's going like this. <laughs> he meant to write verse eight and verse nine. Should have. Oh, OK, well, whatever. And this is this is the joke. Uh, but basically, this is why you don't take those as part of the inspired scripture. Verse numbers are not inspired. The text of Scripture is inspired. It's inspired. It's the Word of God. You don't want to mess with it. So I'm simply giving a little different packaging here than the guy in 1551. Okay. After a lot of careful study and thought. Now here we have this grace in His beloved. Now this is not a very common uh, term in Paul. He doesn't call Christ the beloved very often. God's beloved. This, you know, there's an echo here, isn't there? What does the voice from heaven say, the Father, when Jesus is baptized? This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. So He's the beloved Son that the Father has uh, has shown His love for. His uh, this is His own Son, and this is He is our mediator. Uh, it is in the Beloved that God is lavished and poured out His grace upon us. Now, this is vitally important. Um, this is We're going to come back to this, but this is vitally imp- important because this is why you are assured of your faith. This is your confidence that in Christ Jesus, you are accepted to the Father. It's because the mediator, the one who intervened on your behalf, is beloved by his father. And when he acted on our behalf, there is such value in his person that it overcomes all of our sin. He is supremely valuable to his father. And it's the value of his mediation which can cover all the sins of all of his people throughout the ages. This is, this is the basis of it right now. He's beloved of his father. He is infinitely valuable, infinitely valuable to the father. He has value beyond all of our sin, infinitely valuable. And that's what Paul's building on here. It's in the beloved that we have this mediation in the, in relation to the father so that Just as the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, pointing to Jesus, if you are in him, that voice comes to you as well. This is my beloved child. Do you want to see an example of that? Go to Job. Satan comes before the throne of grace. And what does the father say to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? 
He's my servant. He's mine. I've set my love on this man, Job. Have you considered him? This is mine. This is my servant. You aren't servants. You've been adopted into his family. This is what we read earlier in Ephesians 1. Adopted in the very family of God. Now, the, the basis of his mediation and, and the effectiveness of it now is the second point. Our redemption. Um, now, we have that in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. So, that's verse 7. In, whom, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So, here you have the redemption. Now, this word for redemption is related. It's actually, you could translate this uh, redeeming. It's or ransoming. It is, it's the same word in origin. Uh, in English, you know, we redeem coupons at the grocery store. And we don't do much else redemption. In the ancient world, Redemption means ransoming someone. And, I mean, that's what it is. And you pay a ransom for them. And you want to see that? Now you go back to that piece of paper I read earlier. This woman who was, one third of her was ransomed because her owners paid the ransom price. Actually, somebody paid them. And they logged it with the bureaucracy so it became effective. So, it was the word for ransom. It's actually related to this word here, that word ransom, found in the ancient documents. So, you, re, you ransom or redeem slaves in the ancient world. This was very common. You also redeem people. You ransom from kidnappers or pirates. You ransom prisoners of war. But you also ransom people from guilt. This is, this is uh, the scripture, quite interestingly here. This is why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. A price has to be paid for our forgiveness. They are debts that we can't pay. And, and it's a ransom price. A ransom has to be paid for our debts. Because our debts have put us into slavery to sin and death. And so a ransom has to be paid to release us from that slavery. That's, this is all that language here when it says, uh, by whom, by him we have redemption through his blood. Now, this is related to the word atonement. It's the, con- the concept of atonement. And you find this uh, in different places in the Old Testament. In Exodus 30, we're told that every Israelite had to pay a annual amount of money to, as a ransom for their life. This is Exodus 30, verse 12. You can look that up. They took a census, and then everyone shall give a ransom for their life. Exodus 34:20. If you read Exodus 34:20, you find that the animals in the field and the firstborn son had to be ransomed. He had to ransom the firstborn son with a sacrifice. And so there is a, a redemption and an atonement has to be made for the firstborn son. This is, this is the life of Israel that's the foundation of what Paul is doing him. 
And notice the qualifications for our Redeemer. Uh, here the qualifications are, it's in Him, in whom, in the Beloved. It's through His blood that He spilled on the cross because He paid for our debts with blood. He's the sacrifice for our sins. And that, that's where you have here, Paul makes this explicit. In Him we have redemption through His blood, namely the forgiveness of our trespasses. The word namely is not in there, but it could be. It's simply two, it's a, the second part of that explains the first, and that's how that works. Namely, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Colossians 1, he actually says the same thing. Colossians 1.14, redemption, uh, our redemption, namely the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, and this is the riches of God's grace. So the ransom price for our sins have been forgiven and paid for by the one who has the cattle on a thousand hills. He could have provided a whole multiple herds of cattle to spill sacrificial blood for our sins. But it wouldn't have been enough. They didn't have the value. They were not valuable enough. They were not beloved. They were not the ones to pay for sins. It had to be God offering His own Son and giving Him over on our behalf. And that's the very heart of the Gospel. Grace, mediation, the ransom price, the gift of grace from the Savior. This is why we bless and praise the Lord. Now let me read to you from a psalm. This is a very interesting background. This is Psalm 49. Verse 7. Truly no man can ransom another. I'm going to read that again. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts which perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. <laughs> Out of the blue, no man can pay the ransom price for his brother. He should quit, quit striving forever. It's too costly. You can't do it. You can't bring someone out of the condemnation to death. But God will ransom my soul. And He will receive me. 
into His presence. That's why we bless the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses, by His blood. Amen. Let us pray. We have hope in life, O Lord. We have not put our trust in mere man, but a man came. Oh, in such a man, O Lord, the beloved of God, the Son of God incarnate, come, born of a woman, come through the operation of the Holy Spirit in this majestic, mystical birth of our Savior on that first Christmas. And oh, He came for us. We thank You and we bless You, O Lord, for such a Redeemer. We can call upon Him, Jesus, the great Lamb of God. We call upon You with our thanks now for this great redemption in His name. Amen.